to Light Trees and News, everyone. Pop culture, politics, and a sprinkle of treason. I'm joined today by Eric. Oh, God. I've just been openly fantasizing about living in the woods. I don't know about you. <laughs> uh, yeah, partly because paying so much for rent in New York <laughs> City without being able to experience anything in New York City is truly a slap in the face. It's like, it's wh- why am I paying this much? <laughs> it is really like, I was thinking about that the other day, like literally the, the reason that we live in these awful tiny apartments is because we're never here. Right. Because there's the New York is a weird, like it's an outside city. Like nobody makes, uh, like nobody spends any time in their apartments. So it's like, your everything about your life is kind of lived communally with other people. And now it's like everyone's in their house and like, oh, this sucks. Yeah. Even if you're an introverted person, unless you have a job that allows you to work from home, I would say 70 to 80 percent of the time you're still like on the subway walking around. Like, yeah, it, I like what you said about it being an outside city. That's very accurate. Yeah. I remember when I first got here, uh, somebody was taking me around and there was all these people like they just had like tables out on the sidewalk right and they were just like hanging out and he was like yeah this is like people's yards like it's but it's just we don't have yards so everybody is like hanging out on the sidewalk i was like oh that makes so much sense yeah everybody's always sitting on stoops uh outside bodegas talking yeah every a lot of people are outside constantly but yeah Yeah, now now that we can't do that uh i haven't really even been seeing the first week i'd say after the shelter in place order when i would go for walks i would still see you know older gentlemen gathered outside bodegas but they were like six feet apart talking but i haven't even been seeing that lately right yeah and now it's like i've been doing the thing where i just uh just torture myself by going on zillow oh don't don't it's always a mistake and i do it it'll be like three o'clock in the morning and i'm like i could buy a house in michigan <laughs> yeah it's it's really brutal to like go on zillow pick any other city and just type in what you currently pay for rent mm-hmm. and just see what's available and yeah. you're like jesus christ this is insane it's fully and so, insane and now it's like yeah now we are still paying that rent because they won't give us a break on it and we don't even get any of the benefits of living here. So now it's just like, oh, cool. I have a shitty apartment that I have to stay in forever. And I'm paying like more money than my parents ever paid for their house. Right. I do. Oh man. I found out the other day what I pay in rent is my parents' mortgage on their home. And I was like, cool, 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 (laughs) cool. Uh, I think my dad told me that when he was driving and I just screamed. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, sorry, my brain short-circuited when I repeated that thing that made uh-huh. me short-circuit the first time. It, it's oh, really boy. Really, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's just like, yeah, that's that's the... It, it, uh, New York, maybe I guess, I think maybe more than any other city, at least in the United States, but like... It's a city of trade-offs, and it's like, yeah, you pay a bunch of money to live here, but you're not really spending a lot of time in your apartment. But the the outside, like the communal resources of just like being able to walk around, access to stores and nightlife and all that stuff, it's like that all makes up for it in some sort of way. And then it's like now you don't have any of that stuff. And it's like, oh, this is the worst place. I know. Yeah. Uh, I do wonder what's going to happen. I know we have speculated about this before, but... A lot of people are leaving the city. I'm wondering if that's going to affect rent uh, or if there's going to be some kind of rent strike. I know people have stopped paying rent and talked about a a wider movement, but it'll be interesting to see. I feel like um, I was going to say we're living in an unprecedented times, but I do wonder if New York's going to sort of go back to 70s New York. It kind of feels that way. I the weirdest part is that there is going to be all these effects of the lockdown, but everything is kind of frozen in Amber right now. Right. And so like we haven't even seen all the businesses that are going to close and there's all these weird market things that are going to happen. For instance, like all uh, like a bunch of people had to like, obviously close down their airbnb rentals <laughs> yeah when, which they were pretending they weren't airbnbs right and so those went back on the market as apartments for rent 
but nobody can move because of the lockdown. So uh, you like, actually can move. Movers are considered an essential service. Uh, the reason mm-hmm. I started looking into that is because Chloe and I have to move in June. So oh, right. I Googled it and you can move. I think there are like modified things they're doing when it comes to like walkthroughs of the apartments. Mm, okay. Uh, but yeah, movers are considered an essential service. Well, it'll definitely still have a an effect on... For sure. Like... I'm sure people are moving, but you know, like I, I would, I would venture to guess people moving from outside the city to in the city has just died. Absolutely. And you know, the city is already so, I mean, obviously racially gentrified, but also an economic gentrification where all of these wealthy people who can afford to move and like have homes in the Hamptons and Connecticut, it's like, Mm. You know, I wonder if there's going to be this mass exodus. Yeah, and then there's going to be yeah, like I was saying, like all these, like all these apartments and stuff are going to be on the market, and then when we open up, it's going to be like okay, well now our supply of apartments is flooded with all these new apartments. People are not really moving except when they have to because of their leases inside New York, but people aren't really moving into New York. And it, there will be a slow process of that trickling back. Right. So, it, you know, it'll be interesting to see, like, does all of a sudden, like, do housing prices start dropping? Because, like, all of a sudden now there's this new glut of supply and nobody's buying. And, like, all these landlords are left with, like, you know, some people, like, there's, like, some real, like, psychotic Airbnb people that own, like, 20 properties just, like, on just, like, they don't have any money for them. They're just, like relying on airbnb to pay the rent for them right and so now it's like they now they have more they have like leases on all these apartments and it's like what are you gonna fucking do like you know right so i well speaking of businesses closing we ugh. should talk about we won't get oh, like no. too nerdy about it because i know that a lot of people listen to the show who uh, are not familiar with ucb but a lot of people are familiar with ucb so i thought we should talk about it uh, we got an email uh, the other day from the UCB4, uh, the, the founders of the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater, that the theater and training center in New York are closing. Um, the Hell's Kitchen Theater apparently will still have spots at Subculture, but who the hell knows what's going to happen with that. Um, and yeah, the training center is closing. UCB LA is remaining open for the time being. But, yeah, very sad news, even though obviously I have very (laughs) complicated feelings about UCB. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of good. There's also a lot of bad. Um, But, yeah, you know, I was just thinking about all the the people I met there over the years, including um, Trash, our our indie teammates. Um, I knew you, Eric, before improv, but, you know, Chloe, Rachel, Sham, Lindsay, some dear, dear friends. Um, and yeah, you know, like being a house team member was really great. Loved my team promises. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it. Uh, I, I'm feeling a lot of feelings about it. It's a weird thing because I don't remember the exact year, but UCD started in like 98 or 99. So it's been around for 20 years. Yeah. And so it is kind of reached that status of being like an institution in New York. And it's one of those things where like, even if you're not a huge part of the community, even if you're not around all that much, it is just a thing that you always think of as being there. Mm -hmm. And now it's not going to, which is a very, it's just a strange feeling. Yeah. And Um, like a lot of us, I mean, the writing was on the wall, right? Like everybody knew UCB was in financial trouble because Mm -hmm. The business model was a mess and it had really been run into the ground and they couldn't afford the Hell's Kitchen Theater. Everybody knew it was bad. And when Mm -hmm. the mandatory uh, shelter in place was announced, I was like, oh, the theater is going to close. It was just sort of inevitable. Having said that, you know, still a gut punch to get the email. And I know people are saying very nice things about like UCB is the people, not the buildings. And I agree with that. But I think you would have to be delusional to think there's not going to be an impact on the community now that we don't have like a central hub to gather at. 
Um, I'm not saying there won't be another one that will rise from the ashes. That always happens, right? That's like how UCB started. Um, I'm sure another like scrappy upstart will emerge. But in the meantime, I think like it's okay to grieve, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I think, well, yeah. And part of that is like, yes, like the community is sort of the thing itself. But I think what a lot of people don't take into account and, and sort of take for granted is like part of the reason that the community built up so much is that the performers like they're it, having a an institution takes a lot of work off of the performers if you yes. can just be like if you can just be like i want to put up a show and somebody's like i've got stage time you have this time on this date oh not only all that of- not only is it great to have like guaranteed spot guaranteed stage time there'll be 300 people in the audience guaranteed is like if you were like a house team performer and like Harold Knight or Maude Knight, you were guaranteed a packed house that is irreplaceable. Yeah. And one of the things that I, one of the things that I find fearful is when you look at kind of the state that indie comedy or whatever you want to call it, you know, anything that was outside of the institutional theaters People, the thing is, like, performers just don't typically want to put in a lot of the grunt business work because it sucks. It totally sucks. It's really hard. Yeah. And it's like, you do kind of need, like, you to, to have, like, any sort of, like, actual organization, whether it be an actual physical space or just, like, an organization is, like, you need the performers. You also need people to kind of do logistical grunt work that is not sexy and not fun and basically has no payoff for you doing it and And will be called like being a corporate sellout by people who like any kind of organizational aspect where like you are approaching businesses for sponsorship is quote-unquote selling out to certain members of our community who don't think that should be a part of it at all and it's like okay if you don't want it to be that at all then you also have to accept that you'll be performing in front of, you know, three people in Triple Crown's basement. Um, right. That was such an insider New York thing <laughs> to say. <laughs> but, like, you know what I mean? Like, you're not going to have those institutional assists right. if you don't do that. Yeah, I remember when I was living in Alabama, like, I was very involved in, like, DIY punk music and stuff. And, like, there was, like, this whole thing for a while where it was, like, it wasn't like expressly said, but it, there was this feeling that it was like not even cool to like promote your show because that like that was trying too hard. It's so you know what stupid. I mean? like, it's so stupid to shit on people who care about a thing and want to try to make the thing better. Right. Like that was actually something that really appealed to me about the UCB culture that it's just a group of nerds who earnestly care about their very nerdy art like outsider art thing they do because so many people hate improv and it's like a very (laughs) niche thing um a lot of you know most people have never been to ucb so they don't know that improv can actually be very good so there's like this (laughs) general distaste for it it's so nerdy and these people just love it you know Mm -hmm. to the point where it made me realize that i'm not fully a UCB person because I realized like once I was surrounded by people who live, breathe, eat improv, I was like, oh, I'm not that committed. I like this and I love the group of people I get to do it with. And that made it very, very fun for me. But I was like, man, if I had got, if I was put on a bad team or if I was put on a team of people who didn't like each other, I don't think I would have had a good experience because I don't love it to that degree. Yeah. That was something I experienced. Like I, cause I, we started taking classes around the same time and I'd never really performed before like a stage art. I was a musician, but not like an actor or anything. And I really liked being around, but I didn't like, I didn't like want to dedicate my life to the art form. I'm, it was more like I, I struggled a lot in classes and I just like never really found my footing in it, but I enjoyed learning a new thing. And it really, 
opened me up in a lot of ways as a person. But like, I really just enjoyed more being around than mm-hmm. I did like the art form per se. And I like the art form. I do. And I, and when I first started, like, I was walking dogs, and I would just listen to like podcast about old UCB while I was walking dogs, mm-hmm. and like really like learned the whole history of the theater and the community and all these people, and you know I I really got into it, but it was more like I just liked the community. And I like the art form, but not as a performer per se. Well, yeah, I mean, back in the Chelsea days, even the end of Chelsea days, it still had that DIY feel. And then, again, I know we say it's the people, not the space. But, man, the second we moved to Hell's Kitchen, you could feel like the air gets sucked out of the place. Like, And they kept saying, oh, it's just because we have to put our stamp on it and blah, 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 blah. And I was just like, no, it's different now. And I don't think we should deny that reality no the space matters a lot because for me what i loved about the space and the community was there was a certain thing i remember i was just thinking about this when they announced it because i you know i did probably what a lot of people did was like you know went back and started watching a lot of like comedy videos on youtube of like chelsea you know improv and stuff like that and one of the things i always liked was what would attract me to it was when you went into that space, it didn't, f- there was like this weird feeling of like inside here, everything's different. You know, it was like, once we go down into this room and we start the show, like this is not the same as outside. Right. And there are like different rules here. <laughs> and so, and, and a lot of people do find improv to be nerdy and corny and rightfully so. Cause a lot of it is bad, Yeah, but but like, I don't know, there was like this feeling of like, while we're in here, like this is like a different place than outside. And there we're we're playing by different rules here. And, you know, we're going to allow ourselves to kind of like open up and do weird shit. And like, that's cool with everyone here. It's like this weird agreement that like, we're just going to do sh- shit down here and goof and like, kind of like open ourselves up because like this is different than outside and we're kind of leaving all of our stuff outside a hundred percent and like oh sorry go ahead oh it's just when you move to like a more professional space right right. that's what i was gonna say it became more of like oh now this is a thing that we're doing and we're putting on a show like like, obviously you're putting on shows i've seen some people respond to that where they're like listen if you're a great performer you can crush on chelsea stage you could crush at the beast you could crush at hell's kitchen and I agree with that, but I think it would be naive to say that the space doesn't change how people perform on it. You know, like yeah, sure. I never saw the energy levels that were at Chelsea at Hell's Kitchen ever. No. And it didn't matter if it was like Zach and Tammy or like, you know, like really, really good performers. I never saw the levels of insanity at Chelsea anywhere else. Right. No, no, no. It just wasn't the same. It wasn't the same because there's a weird like, I don't know, it was a professional theater before UCB took it over. So there is like everything about it. You know, these things matter, like the, the aesthetics, the, the lighting, space. the lighting just killed me. And I, I know they couldn't do anything about it. But the fact that right. I could make deep, intimate eye contact with every single person in the Hell's Kitchen audience <laughs> was right. bad for improv. I was so aware of the audience in a way that I was never aware of at Chelsea or The Beast. Yeah, at Chelsea, like, you couldn't see the audience at all. <laughs> no, and it was like, great. You were, like, you were, like, on your own planet, and you would just hear laughter but not see people. It was great. It was great. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I think, like, that was the biggest thing for me. It was just, like, it was a great – I like I said, I never really, like – like you know had any success within the community or whatever but it was but being like i started going there right after i moved to new york and i can't like i can't really imagine a better introduction to new york than being having a place to go where people are goofing off and like are you know it was just like a very fun thing to do all the time whereas i think i i probably may not even still be living in New York if that had been the if I hadn't done that. Because I know, and that makes me really sad to think about like 
all of these kids who are never going to get to experience that. And like, yeah, yeah, I, like I said, I'm sure there will be another theater that emerges from all of this and it'll be great. I'm sure it'll be great, but it makes me sad to think of like what you were saying. Like when you moved to the city, it was sort of like this instant community you could become a part of, even if you never got on a house team, even if you were never very good at improv, you know, like there was a community of other nerds that you could, meet with and then chances are you'll have more in common with them outside of improv as well right yeah so i think i what my hope and this is a lesson i think anybody can anybody outside of new york can take with it's it's like because i I was thinking back about like like i said earlier about like indie comedy or whatever and one of the things that always bugged me would be like you would get asked to do a show and literally like I've seen people like hosting a show that would like their only form of promotion was like posting a Facebook event like the day before the show. <laughs> right. And it's like, if you want to have a community, you can do it without a theater. You can like, there doesn't need to be a physical space. I mean, it helps certainly, but like you can do all those things, but you got to put work into it and it can't just be like, you got to re I mean, you got to really work for it. And it's, you've got to foster that community. you got to keep that in mind and foster that sense of community. And I think there is a way to do that. I just, I worry that a lot of people just don't want to do that, you know? Cause like, like I said, part of the great thing about, you know, UCB was by the time I got there, by the time you like, you know, a lot of people were around, it had been going for 15 years. It had all these, like, you know, it had all this built in infrastructure. So if you were a good performer, you could get on a house team you were put up in front of a sold out audience, you know, you know, every couple, a couple times a month, you know, you, all you had to do was show up and perform and that's going to be different now. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people are going to find that they're like, without the, without somebody else doing the legwork of the organization and the promotion, everything, it's going to be 10, 20, 50 times harder Mm -hmm. to do anything. Yeah, that's definitely true. I think this is all a good reminder that there's no one clear path to do anything. And I think that's a good reminder because, like, you know, we have all of these Facebook groups going now about, like, you know, UCB memories, good and bad. Mm -hmm. And one of the reminders I got from all of the posts is that so many talented, good people felt rejected by UCB, were rejected by UCB, and went on to have huge success in the comedy community. So it's just a reminder that, like, fuck institutions. Fuck it if you feel rejected by a community that you thought would be it for you. You can still succeed and flourish and, like, don't make, don't let people make you feel like shit. (laughs) Yeah, don't put all of your work into, like, acceptance into an institution right like don't like there are a lot of people who you know you would see like really crush and then they get on a herald team or whatever they get on a house team and it's kind of like that's really the only thing they do and if that i mean if that's what they want to do that's fine i'm not there's nothing wrong with that Mm -hmm. but it's like if you want to be if that's your if you want to be a performer and you want to do all this stuff you know don't like don't set your sights only on getting validation through a particular institution because then what you, you just put all your work into that and then maybe you achieve it. And then it's kind of like, okay, well, what, I mean, is this it? Like, is this the end? Like, do I just do this forever? And then sometimes there's a pandemic and the whole thing closes down and you're (laughs) like, what the fuck do I do now? And it's like, listen, we're all wondering what the fuck we do now, but you know, we're all in the same position right now and it will be okay. Don't stop doing comedy because UCB is closing, is what I'm saying. And, like, if if you were really into improv and you were like, I'm going to move to the big city and do improv, and now you're like, well, fuck, what do I do? There's still going to be people doing improv in the city. Um, I would not recommend anyone move to New York City right now, but maybe in the future... (laughs) If things um, God, yeah. bounce back a little bit, I'm fully expecting a Mad Max future in New York City. So I don't know <laughs> if you want to be here right now. Those right. of us who are like have been here so long. I was thinking about that the other day where I'm like, where would I move if I didn't live in New York City? And I'm like, I truly think this city has ruined me because I can't imagine living anywhere else. Right. Like maybe L.A., but that's it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I like fully have fantasies about moving to the woods, but I could see that for you. Yeah. 
yeah, but it's also like that is such a, a weird trade off because you really got to be okay with without all the comforts of a city, which I've grown to like. I I'm from like a rural area, so I'm used to it. But like, I really like New York. <laughs> it's yeah. like I don't know. Like, I really like all the stuff here. It's just like it's it might become unlivable at some point. For sure, for sure, hundred percent. Yeah, I. It's hard to explain to people like the love-hate relationship of living in New York because we complain about it so much because there's so much bad. People are like, why do you live there then? And it's like, because I fucking love it. <laughs> like, Yeah, I mean, it's really like I, you know, especially when I used to like when I was doing more music and I would go on tour, like even in other big cities, it's like you would be there and it's like, oh, I'm going to go get some food. It's like, oh, you just can't. Yeah, <laughs> like, well, what the closed. fuck am I supposed to do? Like, you know, what do you mean like, everything's okay. closed? It's seven thirty. Yeah, everything's <laughs> right. closed. Yeah, everything's <laughs> closed. Uh, if you want to go anywhere, you gotta have a car. You know, yeah. uh, and you gotta drive twelve miles across town. It's like this sucks. Like yeah. I'm like I want to be able to just like go out and walk around or whatever. Well, um, guys, we didn't get to any recommendations, but that's my recommendation for the recommendation section. Uh, mm-hmm. Do your own thing and like don't. In overly invest in institutions and yeah um, and you can that's a that was a big thing i will say just to tag on to that point uh, uh chris gethard who was like a big ucb star who went yep. on to do his own stuff he made a big point like from very early on in his career that was like if there is this sort of institution that you love like it's there to serve you not you it right so like use it for if there is like this institution you can be a part of it and still be doing your own thing like don't like it's not that's not to say don't like take these opportunities when they come to you but it's also like don't forget that it's there to serve you and you're supposed to take what you can get out of it and then do your own thing and if anybody out there is looking for advice about starting their own comedy institution let me just say this uh, have business people run your business and keep <laughs> talent people as talent <laughs> and don't ever let the two mix the only talent person who should be in a position of power within your artistic institution is the artistic director and that is it baby that is it have business people responsible for the business books yeah like (laughs) such a simple it's such a simple thing and it's just like all every artist wants to start a business like you don't know how to do this you don't you're a dumb (laughs) artist what you do, like, an account, you wouldn't ask an accountant to go do a tight five, you know? Right. Like, yeah, why exactly. would you ask a fucking improviser to be in control? Uh, it's just insane. It's insane. <laughs> and it's no wonder that it all failed. Um, right. But what a beautiful, disastrous mess. Um, mm-hmm. You know, again, mm-hmm. this is not an improv podcast. We could go on at length talking about this, but... That's enough. Guys, we'll get to recommendations next week. There was just so much to talk about with UCB. Um, And, yeah, guys, on that note, it's that time of the show. Let's all hold hands and cry. Here is your bad news. All right, so obvi, we have to talk about Trump saying um, people should inject bleach. (laughs) (laughs) I, because of my schedule, you know, I work overnight, so I'm in these like weird moods at different times of the day because I'm like, like, I wake up at like nine o'clock at night, and like, this happened while I was asleep, and I woke up and just like read about it right after I woke up. And then I worked, and then the next day I was like, "Did I dream that?" <laughs> yeah, the, I know, I know. I, did I, the this... president say inject disinfectants? And it was like, "Oh God, that happened!" Like oh, it is so happening? demoralizing that CNN has a headline: "Bleach should not be injected or ingested." <laughs> like the fact that we are at the point where CNN has to be like, "Hey guys, um, don't drink bleach." We know the president just said to drink bleach, but uh, bleach is in fact toxic and will kill you. <laughs> Like, the fact that that has to be explained to people in 2020 is like, wow, we are, we're fully nosediving as a society. I also, just to make the bipartisan point, uh, Andrew Cuomo's wife, or Chris Cuomo's wife, one of the Cuomo wives also came out with, like, some weird thing, how she bathes in bleach. Oh, my God. Like, don't, don't, don't do, do that. that either. Guys, Stop using bleach in okay. your cleaning regimen. 
let's just pause real quick. Guys, don't bathe in bleach. Don't inject bleach. Don't ingest bleach in any way. It is toxic. And like, look, I'm not saying that if a Trump supporter out there is dumb enough to listen to him and drinks bleach and dies that they deserve it. But I can't think of a way to finish this sentence. Well, look, this is actually a point I wanted to make because something that's driving me crazy is there is the counter the you know, everything has two sides now a days. So the counter argument that people have been making is like, well, Trump didn't tell people to inject disinfectant. He was just wondering out loud if it was something we could do. Look, that is technically correct. That is what he said. He was just kind of talking to Dr. Burks. But here's the thing. You can't just talk out loud at a national press conference. No, and he also does shit like that all the time for plausible deniability. He constantly phrases things like people are saying when in fact no one is saying. He is saying, but he doesn't want to be culpable for having said that thing. So he puts it upon someone else, a fictional person. So like, yeah, I mean, the White House came out and they were like, oh, he was being sarcastic. No, he's fucking not. We all oh, we all heard the clip. He's clearly, like you said, Eric, like talking it through. But these are ideas, genuine ideas that he has that he's just like spouting without a filter because he's a fucking idiot who can't keep his mouth shut. Yeah, I mean, like you can see the you can see the brain process working where he's like, it's an infection. This is a disinfectant. So maybe if you take the disinfectant, it will kill the infection. Yeah, it's like a five-year-old trying to work through, like, medicine or science. Yeah, like this (laughs) very, very base reasoning where it's like, yeah, but there are serious side effects to ingesting a toxic chemical. Right, and and I want to say there's another, the, the other dimension to your point that he he does this for plausible deniability is that he knows, like, I fully believe that even if he's not aware in the moment, him and his team know exactly who his supporters are and that they will follow anything that he says. It doesn't matter how he says it. If they hear him say it, that is going to be the truth. Well, this is the man who joked about I could walk down Fifth Avenue and shoot people. I forget the exact quote, but he was basically like I could shoot someone uh, and people would still vote for me. A man who knows that knows that he can't just spout bullshit about drinking bleach to the same dummies who would vote for him after he shoots somebody. Like, they know they have a bunch of sheep following them, and whatever they tell them to do, they'll fucking do it. So knowing that, you can't just say shit like drink bleach to those people. Right, and knowing that, you are culpable for what you say. Even if you, even if... Even if the most generous explanation that he's just talking out loud, he's just working through thoughts on his own. If you say it in front of a national news camera, knowing that your supporters are going to see it, then yeah, you're culpable for it. Especially if you know that your supporters are going to take what you say as gospel, then yeah, like you are culpable for what you say. Did you see that Lysol had to come out and be like, hey guys, um, (laughs) please don't listen to the president of the United States. Uh, Please don't use these (laughs) products. Don't drink these products. Don't inject them into your veins. They will kill you. Uh, So depressing. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's just so like, and uh, Faith made a great point the other day. It was like similar to the point of like, if like the press also knows this, that this is what he does, so they should not be carrying these things live. Exactly, yeah. I I always hesitate to even talk about it on this show, but I don't think this isn't... You know, sometimes Trump has a day where people are covering something dummy said ad nauseum, and it's like, is this actually newsworthy? Do we need to be spotlighting this? Um, Yeah, do we need to even be broadcasting his propaganda speeches? Um. But I thought this was newsworthy for the reasons we just discussed, which is this is actually very dangerous, considering his supporters listen to everything he says and just blindly trust him. The fact that he is telling them to that, like toxic consuming toxic substances can kill COVID is newsworthy because it's so dangerous. Right. And there's also like there's also like less extreme versions of that but like in the same sentence he was saying that like white kills the thing and what they were talking about is like on a surface right they were superheating it with uv and killing the virus that's not the same as going in the sun right and being protected and that's the issue is that like 
when he says like, oh, UV protects you from the virus, then a lot of people go, okay, well, great. If I just walk outside, I can't get sick because that's how, like, that's, they take in what he says and that's just, that's how they process information. And that is so, it's so irresponsible, especially when it comes to like, it's one thing if, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's fucking stupid and horrifying and, I mean, and, and awful when it's about foreign policy or whatever, because then it creates people who are bigoted and racist and all this stuff. But it's another thing when it's medical information, you know, like, I mean, can you even imagine 10 years ago taking medical information from Donald Trump? (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, this is insane. This is insane what's happening. And he, like I said, him and his team know exactly what his supporters are going to do with that information. Yeah. Like they know. What kind of got lost in all of the hubbub over uh, drinking bleach was because it was so disastrous, the White House was like, you know what, we might not even do these sort of pressers anymore. And it was like, cool. So now, like, he doesn't even feel like he needs to explain himself because it went so badly. Um, and right. I, I honestly don't know what's worse, to be able to witness him unraveling in public or if we don't see him at all, like, God knows what's happening behind closed doors. Right. Yeah. That's it. I mean... Who knows? I can't, you know, at least if, if he said, I don't know, it's a weird thing because, yeah, it's like in a rational society, you would want him. This is like the, the argument against the Twitter thing, because like Twitter's whole deal is like they'll never they'll never censor Donald Trump because anything the president says is in the public interest, even if it's wrong. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I want to believe that. I want to believe that when the president says something stupid, you know, you can have people come on and counter what he says and like, Hey, like, don't listen to this or whatever. But it's like, no, we have, he's got, you know, whatever, 45, 40% of the country that are just like complete sycophants that all just listen to anything he says. So it doesn't, I mean, there is like an argument that it's like airing it at all. Even with, even if you had a live fact checker, you know, it's like it doesn't fucking matter. Just airing yeah. it at all is is bad. Right. And it's really frightening to live in a like a post fact society like people are still saying I think it was Paul Krugman today tweeted the bleach thing will be the thing that makes him lose support from his supporters. And it's like, how many times have we been here? How many times has he said something dumb or wrong or embarrassing where people are like this is the bridge too far this is the thing that's going to make his supporters realize he's a snake oil salesman that they invested in a con man and they need to bail now that has quite literally never been the case and the fact that you keep believing it is a sign of insanity (laughs) yeah that is i mean i can't believe we're four years in this presidency and these like this is the issue with the democratic party the sort of centrist liberal thing. This is why electing people like Joe Biden to me is so frightening is because all of these people believe this shit. They believe that they can just fact check Donald Trump into losing. And that is, that is not the game anymore. It kind you know, it, it, it can work sometimes in the past, but it doesn't anymore. It just doesn't like, there's nothing like he can't, there's nothing he can say that is going to turn off his supporters. So you actually got to win people. You can't just like, you know, like I said, you can't fact check Donald Trump into losing. It just like that game doesn't exist anymore. And these people have been around for four years while he was president and they still believe it. And the, another example of why playing to the middle is, you know, a mistake, because it's always about trying to win independence, even though we're finding more and more evidence that fighting for independence is actually a really stupid strategy um, and it's not how you win. Um, instead of actually like, yeah, trying to get uh, immigrants, people of color to vote for you, because this is the base of the Democratic Party. And if you don't have them, you're fucked. Right. And there, and they, I will I foresee a very big problem with the way Democrats are handling this, because I, I mean, look, they are right on the science. But here's the thing. Well, I think I was saying this last week is like you can you can maintain a lockdown as long as you are sending out payments to people if there's a lockdown that goes far into the summer leading up to the election granted if we have an election but if this lockdown goes and the democrats are not fighting i mean literally every day on the i mean they need to be 
24 hours. They need to hire 24 hour PR people to be on the news fighting for more stimulus, more unemployment insurance, more like if if the economy is tanked and the Democrats are not fighting for more stimulus going to people and then Donald Trump is the one arguing to reopen the economy. A lot of your undecided voters and shit are just going to want to vote for that. Yep. Because, because it's, you know, if the economy is already tanked, it's either, well, we keep doing this and I'm still poor or we reopen the economy and at least I can go back to work in order for this to work. You've got to be fighting for, even if you don't win, even if you don't win, you've got to be fighting for people to get for stimulus and for, Unemployment, more unemployment insurance. You've got to be fighting for this every day. And you have to and be fighting for Medicare for all Medicare uh, at for the all. same time. Yeah. Rent. I mean, like rent freezes, like all this stuff, because otherwise you're just leaving people in the dark. You're just like, we, we shut down the economy and also we're not going to help you out in any way. So you can't work. And also we're not going to give you any money. So it's like, okay, well, I guess I just sit here and die. What do you want me to do? Right. You know? Well, we're and, already seeing in, in terms of, States reopening. That was another bad news story I wanted to get to. Salons and spas could reopen in Georgia and Oklahoma, while Alaska lifted restrictions on restaurants. I think Florida reopened some beaches. Um, this is very fast to be reopening, and I don't yep. think anyone should be surprised when we see COVID infection rates spike in these areas because almost all experts agree that it's way too soon to be reopening. Uh, these areas. Yep. There will be another outbreak for sure. Um, and then it could, I mean, like who knows, who knows what happens after that? We might have to lock down again, you know, well, or they might we don't even like, really under what people <laughs> I don't think understand is scientists don't fully understand COVID right now. Um, yeah, there was just a study that came out. I don't think it was actually a study. It was like an observation by some doctors that there are strokes related to people who had COVID. Um, mm -hmm. I think it was in the New York Times. There was an account from a doctor who was removing a, a blood clot from a COVID patient's um brain and in real time saw another clot form and he's never seen anything like that before um, and they've seen this in COVID patients so there are all different types of health effects at this point in time it is now believed that COVID affects multiple major organs in your body so it can cause heart failure it can cause lung failure obviously but it could affect your brain so we're still like learning stuff in real time yeah, and there was also another a, a recent uh, like analysis that was saying that like two thirds of critical COVID patients didn't have fevers. Which, if that is true, that is fucking frightening. That scares the shit out of me too, because I I know I don't get fevers even when I'm very sick. Uh, right, and a fe and yeah. a fever is generally the first sign of an infection. Right, that is like typically when you have the flu, when you have something like that, the first warning sign is you start to get a fever. That is like that's like a common thing for all viruses. That's how you know you're contagious. That's how you like. That's why they tell you like basically anytime you have a fever, just stay home like until the fever breaks. Like yeah, you well, never they were know. they were also telling people that once you have it, don't worry, you can't get it again. But there's new evidence <sighs> suggesting that's not true. So can you imagine if everybody? Yeah gets it gets over it and then we go back to work and it happens again what's going to happen to the economy again we're going to face the same problems over and over how are people going to afford rent where are people going to get health care and the only way the democrats can win if, is if they come out and they say here's our comprehensive plan for dealing with this fucking dumpster fire right now we have an, a huge ambitious plan for a huge stimulus we're going to freeze rent we're going to have health care for everyone. We're going to lift this immigration ban that we're going to get to in a second. We're going to talk about that. They need to have like huge, ambitious visions for how to deal with this shit. And this Democratic institution does not have that vision. Unless you look Here's to people like AOC, they don't have that vision. Here's a question I have. How can Nancy Pelosi have been in politics for like 40 years and not understand optics? How the fuck did anybody, because she's not filming herself. Somebody's filming her, right? And then her whole team had to look at her going through her giant fridges freezer at all of the ice creams she has. Nobody thought that was a bad idea. Nobody thought that was a bad no. idea. And at the, in, in that video, she talks about, and look, I get that 
a lot of the Republican led uh, like packages are corporate bailouts. I get that stuff. But like her first thing in that video was like they asked for more money for small businesses and we said no. It's like, do you know? Even if it was the right move, do you not understand how that looks to people when you're sitting in front of your like mansion with hundred, like maybe a thousand dollars worth of ice cream? She like, made it you, like, so easy for them. Do, do you saw that uh, oh Trump video? I mean, that, that Trump video is devastating, oh and it's they it didn't have to do brutal. much. They just had to splice footage of her being dumb with footage of people actually suffering right now that's it that's the message for 2020 that's a that's a reason why it's very likely trump will win re-election yeah and just like and fucking biden is just like out there just stuttering like not saying anything not doing anything not i mean they've got to do something like you can't you can't be the leader of the opposition party and not out there I mean, their bills, people are putting forth bills for more stimulus, more, you know, to, uh, I forget who, I think it might have been Rashida Tlaib or Ayanna Presley put, put, put forth a, a $2,000 a month stimulus bill. Mm. Even if it doesn't get through, even if you know it's not going to win, you got to be on TV 24 hours a day fighting for it because people need to see that. I the, think, like, the, yeah, and I, I think the thing we're dancing around is like the Democrats aren't an opposition. <laughs> party exactly that's that's what we're not addressing where it's like the reason that nancy pelosi didn't realize that was a fucking dumb tone deaf thing to say is because she's rich and all of her friends are rich and rich people have a lot in common whether they're republicans or democrats and what they have in common is they don't give a shit about poor people right yeah and i mean they're like they're not affected by any of this they're 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 at home and they're still getting paid their government salary for being you know congress people like they're like like this doesn't affect them at all, except it's maybe an um, inconvenience because they can't leave, you know, but it's like that none of this is bothering them. And so they don't get it and they don't, they don't understand. And it's just like, I just, that the Nancy Pelosi thing just drove me up a fucking wall. Cause I, I just kept thinking like, she's been in politics for 40 years. How, like how did she's the, the third person in line for the president. How does nobody understand how this works? I have a, how does nobody yeah, and I have to believe that? that like it's not that Nancy Pelosi's a stupid woman. I have to believe it's that she doesn't care. Right. Yeah, it's just like and I just you know, it's just I was just so and and then yeah, and then of course like maybe that night or the next day they came out with that ad and it's just like of course. It was like, so easy. Course, they handed it to them. So they might easy. as well have cut the ad and handed it to them. Yeah, it's just like and it's like if you're a person who believes in like the left or whatever, you know, you need like I I I'm not a democratic supporter per se, but I also like if it's got to be one of them, I would prefer not to have Donald Trump in president, you know, as president. And it's just like just watching them fucking fumble constantly. It's just like, what is, what is happening? How does it, you know, and it's just it's just so disheartening. And, you know, especially in a time like this, in a crisis that nobody, you know, the squad is really the only people that are visibly out there, like making it known that they're fighting for this stuff, being vocal. And the Democratic Party hates them. Yeah. So lastly, I wanted to talk about Trump announcing that he intends to sign an executive order suspending immigration to the U.S. in light of coronavirus. Um, We don't know how he'll do this, for how long, how it'll affect green card holders, although I've heard from my friends who have green cards who live in the United States that they have been told it will only affect people trying to come to the United States so they feel that they're okay, but like, who the hell knows? Yeah, it turns out that you know uh, our, our uh, national policy being dictated by 280 character tweets is not maybe a great idea. <laughs> what? <laughs> like, uh, there's a reason that laws are typically more than a paragraph long. Uh, no, but then yeah, Eric, it's too long to read. It's too much. <laughs> I can't. Like, all the words, all the letters. It's just like I'm gonna I'm gonna ban all immigration. It's like what does that mean? <laughs> With details, <laughs> like, please. Can I, if I'm a foreign person, can I fly into the United States? Like, can uh, I, you know, like, you know, well, maybe, yeah. you just trailed off like, at the end. <laughs> yeah, it's just like what is what happened? Like, you can't dictate the, the government like this. That the, the I will ban all immigration doesn't mean anything. It doesn't. It, you have to like uh, like we have friends that are like 
residents that are trying to get green cards and they're like, I don't know. I have no, I, I, this is already in process. I don't know if they're going to just stop processing it or do I have to go back home? Like none of this stuff. And then it's just like all these people are asking questions and the administration is just like, eh, I don't know. We'll figure it out. Look, what I'm trying to say is if you are a tall, attractive um, person who doesn't live in the United States, I am single and um, <laughs> available uh, to be a wife to uh, a husband. So <laughs> right. get me out of here. <laughs> <laughs> get me out of here. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Uh, good. On that note, uh, guys, let's end this show with some good news. <laughs> have some good news more good news i think we talked about this last week uh when it comes to abortion um oh nice a federal judge once again uh shot down some anti-abortion nonsense providers in oklahoma can once again begin performing abortions after a federal judge ruled that governor kevin stitt's attempt to ban them cannot be enforced so that wow. is good news. And, of course, it follows uh, other good news in the South. Um, there's been, surprise, surprise, a lot of efforts during this whole uh, chaotic pandemic to outlaw abortion because anti-choice advocates saw an opening in all of the chaos to try to get in there and uh, sneakily have abortion uh, made illegal. Do you think it's weird for Naomi Klein to be like sitting in her house, just watching all of her books that she's written, just be playing out in real time Uh and not constantly be on Twitter, all caps locks. I told you bitches. I fucking told you. She never does that. She never does. it. And I was like, Oh my God, I would be insufferable if I spent that much time and energy and withstood all of the bullshit Naomi had to, when that book came out and then she was right about literally everything. I would be a monster. So what I'm trying to say is she's a smart woman, but she's also a classy woman. (laughs) Yes, exactly. She's Like literally it was like, her book is just happening. It's just like everything she wrote is just like it's like she wrote it as a screenplay. Yeah, it's just like it's all happening. It's wild. <laughs> so it's I, fully wild. I think about I think about that all the time. It's like she was just right about everything. Literally <laughs> just... everything, and isn't a bitch about it. Bitch, <laughs> 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 good on you, man. I would be. Um, yeah. Also, good news: uh, Democratic Kentucky Governor Andrew Bashir vetoed a bill on Friday that would have allowed the Republican Attorney General to potentially restrict abortion access uh, during the coronavirus outbreak, as well as requiring doctors to try to preserve the life of an infant born alive following an attempted abortion. Man, anti-choice activists are freaks. <laughs> Dude, yeah. It's, freaks. Going back to like what I was saying about like Democratic Party, like it's insane to me that nobody's just on TV all the time being like, do you see this shit? Like, do you, like, it's insane that anybody's trying to pass any bills right now. There's one singular problem that, yeah. like, there's literally only one job that we have to do right now. And I mean, people are passing anti-abortion bills. I guess it's encouraging in the sense that anti-abortion activists feel like they have to be sneaky like this right. or they won't win. I guess that that could be, like, a positive on what yeah. is already a positive story because obviously it didn't go through, but like they feel like they have to do it. They have to shock doctrine it through right? because they don't have popular will behind them. Right. It also goes to show like how like it's just like insane they are like so singularly focused that in the middle of, I mean, I think arguably the biggest like, like story in a generation uh, in a century, maybe, you know, like that they've chosen this time. They were just sitting on bills, just waiting for something like this to happen. And as soon as it happened, their first thought was not, how do we help people? How do we get through this? There's like, great. 
push through the 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 legislation. Let's try to get it done now. You know, and it's just like, are you, like, what is the matter with you? Also, on the you know? what is the matter with you note, the fucking sca- scaremongering of preserving the life of any infant born alive following an attempted abortion is so fucking ridiculous. As we all know, the overwhelming majority of abortions are performed in the early trimesters. They're not live babies coming out being butchered. No, and and the 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 you know, what what sucks to see is that like they've twisted it into like, if there is, a, I mean I'm not I don't want to get into like super specifics because it's a weird topic and we're in the good news section, but it's like <laughs> the the point of this like the point of the the point of these procedures like if there is a late term uh, procedure if something happens, it's you know they've got to manage the care of if if an infant's born alive. And what people did, and this is what happened with Ralph Northam when they were talking about, you know, before the whole blackface thing, uh, you know, when he was talking about uh, these like late term abortions, is that they twisted it to say people are having babies born alive and then killing them after birth. Right. That is not what's happening. Right. That is not the procedure. That is not what's happening. They're talking about managing care if, uh, you know, if a child, like, if it doesn't uh, fully terminate during the procedure or whatever. But they, they they turned it into they're literally doing infanticide, and that's not what's happening. No. But it's just a it's just a narrative that took off. They just were allowed like they they're just allowed to run free with it, and so it's just like, and now they're just doing it again. But now they're doing it in the middle of a pandemic. Right. And, and man, like, what is- a what a shining example of like, obviously, we know it's important that Democrats win elections. But man, was it not very important for a Democrat to win the Kentucky governorship? Because holy oh, shit. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> that Absolutely. would have not been vetoed if it had gone the other no. way. No, 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 not at all. Uh, so pay attention to your governor races in your state. So- Absolutely good on these governors and these judges uh, for well, the judges, the man. I I knew the judges would play a big role in the Trump administration, but man, not, not to say like a ton of bad shit hasn't gone through because it has, but right. there have been a lot of federal judges who are like the one person standing between Trump and something horrific happening, mm-hmm. and they have shot yep. the right down time and time again. Yep. Um, so also in the good news section, I wanted to shout out because, uh, the other day I I saw this photo on Twitter, very sad photo from Idaho of mountains of potatoes being thrown out, um, because capitalism is a perfect system and we don't ever need to fix anything. Um, but this week, U.S. supermarket chain Publix announced a new initiative to purchase fresh produce and milk to assist farmers impacted by the coronavirus pandemic. And Publix will be donating these products directly to Feeding America member food banks in its operating area, which is great. Um, What is happening is that these farmers don't have anywhere to unload a lot of their produce, so it is sitting there going bad. And obviously milk is really susceptible to this because it has a short shelf life and they're just dumping uh, Mm -hmm. so much good produce uh, that could go to hungry families. So it's great that Publix is doing this and I hope that more uh, supermarket chains follow their lead. Yeah, I hope it keeps going because like there was so many potatoes. So many (laughs) potatoes. And listen, as an Irish person, Irish American person, If you waste a potato, I can hear my ancestors crying. <laughs> so it's like, it hurts right. me. It hurts me is what I'm saying. Um, so don't waste potatoes. Potatoes are very nutritious. They last a long time. They're, They're a hearty great. crop too, usually, unless you get the blight and then you have to leave Ireland and come to America. Um, and then uh, my poor relative got off the boat and they made him be a minute man in the Revolutionary War. That's a true story. And all because he didn't have potatoes. So <laughs> look, it was look, okay. It was probably bad to base the entire economy on potatoes. <laughs> listen, but they, listen. But it could be good. Listen, it didn't occur to my ancestors to diversify the crops. That's on them. <laughs> but you know, they thought the potatoes were hardy. They had always been hardy up until that moment, and then they were no good. So they had to leave. Yeah, but but they are good. And it's just like I you know what this reminds me of? I remember before I was ever even really a political person, I was I had to have been in middle school or something, but I remember seeing a news story about OPEC slowing down oil production. 
And I was like, I was like, why would they slow down oil production? And like my dad or my mom or something was like, oh, it's because they need to like keep the prices at a certain level. And I just remember being like, that's fucking bullshit. <laughs> like if yep. there's more oil, just put out the more oil and like, you know, it'll be cheaper for people. And they're like, yeah, it's not really how it works. They need to maintain a certain price. And I just remember being like, even at that point, it was like, this is fucked up. <laughs> like, oh my you know God, I mean? Penny. Ah, Penny just walked across my keyboard. No. Uh, in the good news section, how dare you? Uh, that was not good news. There'll be no news this week. I think that my cats are officially sick of me saying hello to them a million times every day. Probably. I don't know why I keep, every time I walk into a room and I see them, I'm like, hello. And I'm like, I've literally (laughs) greeted them so many times. They're so sick of me. Um, yeah. Anything, anything else in quarantine news? How, how you guys holding up? I feel weird about the quarantine because I realized the other day that I'm in a weird position because honestly, things are not that bad for me. And I feel very weird about it because like, it's you know, it's a weird time, but like my job is fully online. So other than not going to the office, like my pay, my job, everything has been seamless. So, and like, otherwise I'm just at home a lot. So I, it's a weird time because I don't, I haven't personally felt that many huge effects but i know so many people have i sort of feel like we are just entering this whole mess and sorry to talk about this in the good news section but it's how i feel um to be fair there's not we're like i was talking to my dad the other day and we he was asking about like how i get groceries delivered and he had tried instacart and you know there weren't any delivery times for a few weeks And I was like, yeah, same in Brooklyn, but, you know, I can order seamless in the meantime and like felt very or very privileged when I said that where I'm like, oh, it never occurred to me that like I'm not going to be able to get food because I'll still be able to get food delivered. But then I was thinking and I'm like, right, but if more restaurants close, where am I going to be ordering from? And then that's going to be an issue. Where are we going to get food from? I guess I could Mm -hmm. go to the grocery store in person and like risk infection. But again, very privileged because I'm a younger person and um, haven't gotten it yet. You know, knock on wood um, that I know of. You know, I could be asymptomatic and then that's a whole other risk. Right. I could infect somebody else if I go get groceries and not even know it. Um, But yeah, I, I sort of feel like we're in denial still because things haven't gotten horrific for the majority of Americans, even though like here in New York city, like thousands of people have died for the most part, our daily lives have continued as normal, even though we're not like riding the subway and like going to work and stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be, yeah, the, it is one of those weird situations where it's hard to, a lot of things that happen, you kind of have a game plan for. Even if you don't have a plan, there's at least historical precedent for it. And I think now there's just not. Like, there's no way to tell what's going to happen because a lot of it's going to depend on, like, you know, if are they going to reopen the economy at the beginning of May? If they do, do we see another spike? If not, do we get back to normal? If there is, do we have to lock down again? You know, and and, you know, one of the hardest parts is, like, I, you know, I personally obviously support like government transfer payments, you know, uh, rent freezes, all this stuff. But it's like, to your point, if you send everybody money, but then like there's no grocery stores, what the fuck do you do? And yeah, (laughs) we haven't really seen our supply chain break down yet. Right. But it's in this weird sort of like coasting period before the nosedive. But like right. when that nosedive happens, yeah, that's when that that chain is going to break down, and when it starts to break down, that's when it gets real. So I I feel like as bad as everything is right now, we're still in the initial denial phase where it's like, yeah. oh, it'll go back to normal, blah 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 blah, and it's like there's no evidence that's true, guys. Again, right. I'm sorry, we're in the good news section. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, otherwise, like I don't know. I just started rewatching The Americans. Hell so yeah, that's good news. That's a good, good fucking yeah. show. Oh, it's so good. Oh, um, so- I had a bunch of recommendations, but I'll get to it next week. <laughs> um, but yeah, guys, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day, rest of your weekend. Even though weekends are meaningless now and time is an illusion. <laughs> yep. Follow Eric on Twitter. 
E-R-E-K underscore Smith. Follow me on Twitter at Allison Kilkenny. You can follow Light Treason there. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Go to lighttreason.news and smash that donate button. Or go to my Patreon, patreon.com slash Allison Kilkenny. For as little as $5 a month, just $5 a month, you get to send questions, comments, uh, all of that stuff, recommendations to my Patreon, and I'll read it on Light Trees and News. Um, guys, you know, get out there if you can. Wear your little masks and gloves. Go for a nice walk if it's safe. And while you're out there, uh, why don't you get into a little trouble? <laughs> <laughs>